Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We got Lars Hedenborg with me here today, and Lars has a podcast as well, so take a look at that. It's called Real Estate Team Builders, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that as Lars has become a bit of an expert when it comes to scaling, and uh, I know that's something that everybody is on top of mind here lately, but Lars, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Jack. This is going to be uh, good. You know, it's... uh we, we kind of chatted about it before we, we hit the live button. Um, but, you know, being successful in, in anything and, you know, getting out of the, the, the grind of the initial, initial stages of building, whether it's a real estate investment business and any of the things you can invest in, or in my case, it was residential real estate, you know, having sold 27 homes in my first 10 months in the business, which is, is a lot of real estate. I was mm-hmm. instantly seven days a week and I was just married first kid. And it was just like out of bounds everywhere, failing on all fronts. And so I, I think if, if there's one thing I can help, you know, with is just the honest, good, bad, ugly of, of scaling a real estate business, which I, I think will help anyone that wants to detach money and time. I, I think that's one of my, one of my superpowers is, you know, how do I make as much money as possible working a reasonable amount of hours and enduring a level of stress that isn't going to give me a freaking heart attack. Yeah. Well, you know, it, what intrigues me about what you just said there is that, and I, I'm, I'm sure my listeners are frankly tired to hear me bringing it up, is that I think our society, frankly, has kind of romanticized, romanticized the concept of the grind and the hustle. And we feel like there's there's an obligation to be like busy all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like the hashtag hashtag rising grind, you know, it's, it's, it's literally a hashtag. And, and I think there's a season for it, you know? So when I got into real estate, I I left a corporate job and, you know, it's like, okay, I have to figure out how to replace that income. You know, So that was like, and I had a little baby and we wanted to have another little human that came into the world and they're they're probably not going to be cheap over time is what I'm thinking. And uh, so I had to get really busy on the front end. A lot of conversations with a lot of people figured out how to generate leads, simple scripts, you know, repeatability. And I had to meet with people and I'm like, well, I don't want to do this forever. So I might as well use a standard sort of sales process so I can ultimately replicate all of these things and duplicate them out. But, But the focus was never on, you know, how can I keep me as busy as possible, as many hours in the day as possible? Because there's just a natural caps. So for, for your listeners, if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to wholesale enough homes to uh, be financially free, I would imagine that the, the market efficiencies in, in, in that vertical in your ge- geographic market, it's the same as real estate, mm-hmm. you know, where like if you're doing one deal a month, it, it, you know, there's probably enough lead gen and activity and conversations to keep you pretty busy, but to go to two, three, 10, 15, you know, and then maybe do it in multiple markets is uh, is a whole nother story. So, yeah, I think the the and then you know guys like Gary V. I like his books, but he's you know in one of his books he's like I'm the only guy willing to have a meeting at midnight 
on a Friday night. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And, you know, Elon Musk is changing the world, but uh, I think he's estranged from his kids. I think he's on his third marriage. I think he works like 170 mm-hmm. of the 168 hours that there is in a week. So, you know, it all depends on what you want. And that's kind of what I focused on. Well, you know, it's one of those things. When when it comes to real estate investing or real estate in gen- general, I mean, we're always seem to be chasing that elusive financial freedom. But really, when you think about it, that that why that's associated with it, it's what we're really looking for. More times than not, it was when you when when I start asking questions of people, it's it's trying to find that freedom and and regain time. And, and that's actually what we're chasing. And, uh, and until you start to define what define that piece of it and what that means to you, um, you're always going to be chasing financial freedom when you're actually trying to free your free yourself. So with that being said, you know, the scaling comes into mind and, and you, for example, um, you know, they sent some basic information over regarding you. And then I've read a few things. You've, you've written a book regarding this as well. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But one of the things that stood out is that at one point you were working seven days a week, selling 44 homes a year. And now you're working, it says you're working one day a week and selling over 400 per year. What kind of mindset does somebody have to go through? What kind of change mentally does somebody have to go through to to adapt to the, to that paradigm, that new situation. Yeah. So it's a couple things come to mind. Um, and I've since exited, I've, I've I've exited that business with a, with a sale. Um, but two things come to mind when, when you say that, and it was the first book that my first coach. So first thing I did was get a coach, um, like one month into the business, I got a coach. Um, and E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber was, was like his cornerstone, sort of reading and it doesn't tell you how to do anything in the book but in terms of the mindset if if you want to and I remember my first why was like I would read it every day because I had my my plan my three five ten year plan laminated like 20 I had 20 copies all over everywhere I could possibly be where I had my personal plan and my professional plan one on each side um, but it was to create a life for my family that they never thought was possible. So I grew up, you know, in, you know, no money whatsoever, divorced, uh, parents divorced when I was four. My dad was an active alcoholic till I was 15. And so I, I knew what I didn't want, you know, and so my driver and and the first drive is for money. So whether I don't know why it is, but, it, it, you know, I came from a very poor background. I wouldn't say poor. My mom, we never went without, but there definitely wasn't extra money, Um so my first drive was for money. So the financial freedom, but then you're right. Then I'm like, okay, well, I got to buy back a lot of my time. I've already, I cracked the code pretty quick on just selling a lot of houses or in your listener's case, doing a lot of deals. But if you're working 70, 80 hours a week, your physical health is going to suffer. Your relationships are going to suffer. Probably going to be kicking your dog every day. Poor dog. You know, there's just collateral damage. And so I had to figure out a way to be able to detach, you know, so it was money freedom and then it was time freedom, you know? So then how do I just look at everything I do in the day and okay, like I can't. So for, for an investor, you know, you can't be the one putting out the ugly yellow and black signs, right? If, if you're doing that, 
that's in my market. I'm in a major metro market. I can hire a guy for $10 an hour to do that. And he could do it world class. Like he's got the pickup truck, you know, maybe you have to pay him 11 because it's a little bit more expensive with gas. But if you want to make 11 bucks an hour, then you keep doing that thing. But I remember I went through an exercise and, and this is the mindset shift. I wanted to make $500,000 after tax, uh, after expenses, and I wanted to work 40 hours a week, so 2,000 hours a year. So I just divided 500,000 divided by 2,000 was $250 an hour. And then I just got really honest with myself about where I was spending my time. Mm-hmm. And, and very little, very little things anyone does anymore is, is 250 or more per hour. And so I just had to shed everything off my plate. And, and I, I missed a point. I just want to go back to it real quick. In the book, E-Myth, the, the guiding question, and, and I don't know if it was in the book or this is a question that I made up, but it's how would you think about your business differently if you were to replicate it 10,000 times? So like, how would you think about your wholesale or flipping business or whatever, whatever you're doing right now? How would you think about it if you had to replicate it 10,000 times? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not playing the game at a high level right now, that thinking, you know, if I was going to scale a, a real estate investing business literally into 10,000 markets around the U.S., I couldn't be doing the signs. I couldn't be, you know, doing the mailers and looking the stamps and handwriting the envelopes or whatever your 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 thing is. You probably couldn't have like the handwritten printers like in 10,000 different markets. You probably have to centralize that and. So it just, it forces you to think about like, how can I scale this thing? And it's not, none of it's hard, you Mm -hmm. know, at at all. It just forces you to think about your business differently. Like I can't show homes to buyers. I can't, you know, ultimately I can't do any of the things with clients if I want to be a business owner versus like the the technician in the business, which is, you know, what they talk about in the book E-Myth. So anyway, so that's a little bit on on the mindset and the scaling part of it. Um, because most of the challenge is mindset. You know, there's no mm-hmm. shortage of, you know, take take anything. Like if if you're not in physical shape, it's not because there is a shortage of strategies. Right. Right. Because you could, it, it's all free now. You could just go to YouTube and, and pick someone's free YouTube four-week challenge or whatever and just do it every four weeks. It's just mindset. It's the psychology. Like, okay, why do I eat late at night? This is me talking. Why do I snack when I watch TV every night? That's the trigger. Let's stop watching TV, you know, so I stop snacking. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm 12 pounds lighter, like two months later. So mm-hmm. it's the it's always the psychology and mindset piece of it. Right. You know, that that's interesting you bring all that up. Like, I, I found that I've had to start doing things to make things actually harder if that makes sense. So like uh, social media, I don't have social media apps on my home screen anymore. If I want to launch Facebook, I have to do that in a browser. Or if I want to launch Twitter, it's within a, within a folder on, on a, on not the home page. It, it makes you go through the, and, and doing so it's prevented me from having to launch those type of apps anymore. You know, if that makes any sense or, or simply yeah. unsubscribe to Netflix. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, is that from um, Atomic Habits, James Clear? I I picked it up somewhere. I don't think I haven't read Atomic Habits yet. Actually, it's that, on my. It's on. That Disney. is probably the best book you talk about. Just just basic anything in life. We have habits. You know, they're either good or bad. My habit was, you know, eight o'clock. Kids are sort of taken care of. 
We've got that two hour time block for sure. Let's watch Netflix. I'm snacking, you know, so that is just a consistent habit versus like, okay, so I actually had to take a physical picture and hang it over my TV. So five nights a week, I cannot watch TV. So I'm guaranteed five nights a week that I'm not going to snack and I'm going to go to bed early. And then I wake up at 5.15 a.m. And so you're exactly right. There's all these little triggers. Um, And what I did, so I actually went and I got an iPhone 12 uh, Mm -hmm. mini on sale. It has like texting, a phone, my map, no apps on it whatsoever. And then I just leave this one. So I work from home, but I leave my, my really expensive new one here and I'll come in, you know, after not, you know, if, if I come in this office and I'm going to look at it, then at least it's intentional. I'm, I'm in, I'm sitting in my chair. It's a Saturday afternoon. It's 10 minutes of laser focus. Make sure there's no bombs on there mm-hmm. versus like incessantly checking Facebook or clearing out every email or responding to every t- text on demand. So right. we could do like a whole series on what we're talking about now, but, <laughs> but it, is, it is that stuff right there that stands in the way of success. I feel like in anything and it's only getting worse. Um, another random since we're on it, I think I just discovered, like I knew about YouTube, obviously, but I think Mm -hmm. I just discovered YouTube where I got the premium. So I don't have commercials anymore. I started subscribing (laughs) to um, like Graham Stephan and uh, this guy, Andre Zeke or whatever his name is and meet Kevin and like uh, some of these other guys. And uh, that's, that's now my Netflix. So (laughs) So now I've got another thing that I have to be careful with. And I, I have it on my little phone. I have YouTube. So that's that's sneaking in and it's becoming that thing that takes me off the really important stuff. So anyway, that's uh, it's really interesting. No, I, I mean, it is. It's it's great. You know, YouTube premium is one of those things, too. And YouTube is just kind of a time suck. And and, and t- I'm going to put TikTok in that as well. I And I don't have TikTok installed on my on my phone. I'm just just against it. But. I have friends who will say that, you know, they, they go down this TikTok spiral and next thing you know, they've chewed up hours and they don't even know where it went. You know, that's, that's what I'm in fearful of is that you're just, it just, your time just disappears. And when you go through that strategy that you, you started with, I think that, I think everybody needs to just hit pause and possibly just do that strategy. Now taking the 500,000 a year and divide it and see what your time is actually worth, I think you would likely make different choices just simply by doing that exercise. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. So I, ironically, I did that exercise in early 2008 when I came off of just getting into real estate. I had done pretty well in those first 10 months, but I wasted a lot of my, spent a lot of money. I only netted like 37 grand. And I think I worked 2000 hours in 10 months. So I only made $18 and 50 cents an hour. And I had left a corporate job where I was making, you know, multiple six figures working 2000 hours or a hundred bucks an hour. So I went from a hundred to 1850 and I'm like, crap, if I'm going to do this, you know, take on this additional risk and have to go out and, you know, I only get to eat what I kill, you know, in, in commission sales and investing too. same deal. Um, I had to make it count for something. So that's why I picked that 250 number. Um, But, but without any vision, you know, in the Bible, say that they say, uh, was it Proverbs 27, 13 or something? They said, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's like the best coaching ever. Like if if you just don't have vision 
for any area of your life. So, so, and the ultimate insanity, if you're going to be a, let's say a full-time real estate investor, you're a full-time real estate investor, which is, which is crazy. It's hard. And let's say you're married. So you're going to be a husband or a wife. Let's say you have kids. You're going to be a mother or a father. And let's say, you know, you don't want to weigh 400 pounds. So you got to take care of your physical body. And maybe you spend time with God or you want your spiritual or emotionally you want to enjoy any of that. You know, it's the ultimate insanity that leaves no room, really, if you're being honest with yourself, for much of anything except doing those things, like doing the job of a husband, doing the job of a dad, working out on a regular basis, you know, spending time in the word. And and then business is the most fun thing that can take every waking hour. And that, that's been my kryptonite is my, and I've seeped back into it here lately because I've got some exciting things that I've spun up out of thin air to, you know, satisfy the entrepreneurial ADD in me. Um, but I, I tend to give my work so much of my, of my, of my time, you know, and it, and it's, right. it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not out of fear anymore. I mean, probably deep seated it is because of my background, but um, you know, at this point we, we, we're good financially, but it still has that, you know, I could work a hundred hours a week and be happy but I have to yeah. temper it so I can pay attention to these other areas of my life. Well, you know, you brought up a couple of things that I'd like to pursue there. One of them is, is that you talked about your entrepreneurial ADD. I think a lot of us have that, you know, we're always chasing that next shiny object. Do you, have you found a ways in which to like curb that a little bit to, to because we also, we already know it. <laughs> we already know that, uh, what you focus on is what typically grows. So my um, my real estate team, this has probably been physically on my desk. If you're listening to the podcast and you're not seeing the video, I'm holding up a kind of like a squirrel on top of a massive acorn that's like a golden bronze color. And they gave this to me because I openly admitted to them that I have like major shiny, shiny SOS, shiny object syndrome, and I'm easily distracted. It's it's an actual character trait of like an entrepreneurial personality type. And so I think just knowing that, that, that we have this in us, I think is one thing, which is why the visual helps me. But then like, and, and I teach this in, in my coaching program, uh, we teach it what we call three, one ninety. Uh, it's a three year vision, a one year plan, and then 90 days and then weekly and daily. But without a three year vision, you know, the chance that you end up somewhere good in any area of your life three years from now without an actual vision of where that place is, is very, very low. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard. So if you're an investor and you're like, so I, I like the buy and hold, you know, I like the concept of buying and holding versus flipping. And I'm going to, you know, 36 months from now, I'm going to, I'm going to own 10 properties. Right. So that's my three year vision. And then the one year plan is what has to happen in this first year for me to 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 push hard toward that 10 is like, I probably got to get two houses this year. Okay, Mm -hmm. so in the first 90 days of this year, so the first quarter, like, well, I probably can't pull off buying a home the first quarter, but maybe. I don't know. I've got to, you know, get some marketing material together. I've, I've got to buy this course that teaches me the no money down, whatever the, the carton sheets of today is. I don't even know, but I know there's a ton of those guys out there. Right. Um, and you could actually do it. 
right? Because you can actually own 10 homes from now, but it's easy to own no homes, you know, three years from now. You know, so, so it's, it's not, there's nothing complicated about it, you know, and say, if I want to have the most like romantic and connected marriage that there possibly could be 36 months from now, it's like, what has to happen in the first year? It's like, man, we haven't, I haven't taken my wife away on a vacation in five years. I probably have to figure out a way to take her away. Just the two of two of us, mm-hmm. you know, and you break that down into quarter. Well, I can't go away for a week with her, but maybe I can get her away for a weekend or maybe it could start doing, maybe I can do five date nights in the next 13 weeks, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, none of it is hard at all, but you just need that cadence and a structure, the way of looking at your life and the different areas of your life, because it always has a tendency to derail, you know, where you're just going to spend more time. For me, I spend more time in my business when the other stuff gets harder. Like I have a 12 and a 14 year old now, and it's, it's harder with them. They don't really like me all that much. I know they love, I hope they love me. They don't like me. So like spending time with them is hard. It's not, it doesn't give a lot to me at this point, but I, I push into it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I drive my son to volleyball, even though it's like rush hour and he just got to go four times a day, you know, back and forth. And, but it's like the only time we get with him, you know, so we're mm-hmm. willing to do it because it's like, he might talk, <laughs> he might talk to us and say something. And he does, you know, one Mm -hmm. out of 10 times. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I think this is some good stuff, you know, Uh, Yeah, just to kind of, kind of know where you want to go and then just get to work doing it. Well, I I mean, you bring up what my second question was going to be. It was, you know, we're we're kind of uh, also, we talked about the romanticizing of the hustle and the grind, but we're also pushed the concept of this work-life balance and to prioritize our family life. And, and have you found any strategies associated with, with that? You know, it, it's a good question. And so it's, there was a, I don't know if it's a quote from somebody, but it's, uh, it's like entrepreneurs are willing to do what most people won't for, for a few years so they can live the rest of their life. Like most people, something like that. Most people, Right. So yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I do believe there is like, I remember when, when I I first had this vision of being more of a business owner than a real estate agent. And I remember talking to my wife, Julie, and being, you know, just saying, honey, I've got this plan. It's not going to be seven days a week. You know, I've got, I've got to hustle. I've got to do real estate sales, but then I have to, you know, I was spending time late at night building systems and designing marketing materials and just optimizing, creating the business at night when I would have to do the job of the salesperson during the day. But I was doing it with 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 sort of the the, the end in mind, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think most people aren't willing to go through that period of time where, you know, like, honey, or, or I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just push hard into this investing thing for the next three years. I've got a mentor that I trust. You know, he's got a proven system. It's gonna take a little bit of money investment, but it's for sure gonna take time investment because I'm gonna do it in addition to my full time job. And, you know, but most people aren't willing to go, go after it like that because, mm-hmm. you know, they're just comfortable, whatever, whatever it is. But I, I think it's you're, you're willing to do that to work overtime, you know, because there were, man, there were days where I, I missed the kids in the morning and I missed them at night and I stayed up to like 2 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, just working on something. And I've even gone through seasons here recently and I've, I've got a great big house and I've got, you know, more money than I need, but we'll the entrepreneurial ADD will want me to shift something in the business 
and then create a whole bunch of work for myself that I'm good at. And maybe it sort of feeds my internal ego. I pulled all nighters in the last couple of years for no reason, right? There was no deadline. It was an artificial deadline. Nobody was waiting for the thing I was creating, but I was like, this is going to be great. You know, there's nobody awake at night. I can put my head down and I can, you know, I was building a new, a new member portal or whatever. And I had all these videos to record and content to create. And I just, so, but I, I think we just do it to ourselves. Yeah, no. And, and th- that's very much the case. You know, I, one of those things that I, you, you're talking about that shiny ob- object syndrome again, you know, one of the things that I've started to do and I've been, well, I guess I've been doing it more regularly or, or quite a while is that every time I think of a shiny object sin- syndrome or something that, that strikes my eye, I have a, I basically have a journal dedicated to that. So I I'll jot that down keep a few pages on the beginning and end of it. So I'd have additional uh, room for notes, but it allows me anytime that comes to mind, I, I can, I can revisit those pages, jot something down again. So it's out of sight, out of mind. And mm. if it's, if it's something that it is something that I want to pursue down the road, you can see those pages filling up. It's kind of a, it's kind of a measurement for me to know whether it's something that's really something truly that interests me or if it's just kind of a something in passing, if that makes yeah. sense. No. And it's gotta be like nine out of 10 things that come out of our minds are not worth the, even the time that the, the moment we spent on it, you know? Right. And, but if you can, that's a good system. You know, I have a to-do list somewhere electronic. I think it's in my Google task list and yeah. I've got all the categories, but I, I put stuff in there all the time and I, I never look at it. Like I never actually go back to do the thing because it's, it's honestly, it's not in my core what I need to be doing. Like I, and I miss the weekly and the daily. So if you have that three-year vision, one-year plan, like, okay, this quarter, mm. you know, this week I need to, as an investor, I need to have conversations with five distressed sellers, you know, and if I can have 20 of those over a month, one of them are going to be able to sell to me with some owner financing or who knows what. You know what I mean? But you break it down to into the weekly and the daily. So when you when it when it comes time to make your calls or do whatever you need to do, doing the thing you're doing, mm-hmm. you're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, if I need to make these calls, I'm going to like, you know, I can't do it. You're going to be like, no, because three years from now, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to own 10 properties and they're going to throw off like I'll be completely financially free or right. massive step toward financial freedom. So I'm willing to do whatever today because I can now identify with that future version of myself. So that that's been really, really helpful for me. Yeah. And, and going through that exercise is huge because when you break things down like that, you know, we we've definitely found, you know, you got to almost have to talk. Let's say you have to talk to them, make a hundred phone calls out of those. There might be 10 follow-ups and out of those, you might have one deal or one opportunity, but when you break things down like that, it makes it more achievable and it makes but then it also puts it into perspective. So you have an idea of how much effort it is mm-hmm. to work towards that goal. And then simply you, you said a three-year goal. I'm surprised how many people actually don't do that. You almost, you do need to do that. So you, I've, I've said it time and time again, that uh, if you don't write it down and, and, and write down a goal, it, that's when it becomes a target versus it just being rattling around in your head. As far as I'm concerned, that's just a dream. So mm-hmm. until you put it on paper, there's nothing to shoot for. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know if the study was was a real study or not, but they they did some kind of study back in the day with Harvard grads, and only only apparently only three percent had written goals, and those those three percent, so three out of a hundred, had something crazy like a, and this was twenty five years afterwards or something. They had like thirty times the net worth. The three people had thirty times the net worth of the ninety seven people. Or something, yeah. some crazy number, and I'm misquoting all the numbers, so don't don't go up in arms over it. Um, but I, I would believe it, you know, that it's just mm. not, you know, it, it's, right. it's not a coincidence when you like when you know where you're going, and like this guy, this squirrel cannot distract you when you know you have to have ten conversations this week. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing I need to do this week outside of my nine to five is have 10 conversations and get face to face with two sellers. Sure. You know, and you might be working on, you mentioned the follow-up system. Maybe there's like a text or email sequence or handwritten notes that you do afterwards or whatever it is. Like that's the system. I was building those systems at night because I knew most of the people I was talking to, they weren't ready to transact. And I knew that I could make way more money on follow-up because people just aren't good at follow-up. You know, so that's was like a good example of a system that anyone could use. You know, if you're prospecting, most people won't say yes the, the moment you meet them, you know, but they may be uh, ready to sell in six months when they're more distressed than they are today. I mean, for investors, that's got to be true in the future here, you right. know, with the economy going to crap. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's all good stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, just so that we're, I, I don't overstep anything here. Do you have a hard stop? Otherwise I have a couple more questions. No, I'm good. I have a few more minutes. Sure. So uh, one of the things that I, I find it interesting that you, you've brought it up a couple of times and you're actually wearing a t-shirt that says be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yep. And uh, so you, you were talking about, you know, you had to sit down and you talked to your wife. I, I, I would imagine that was a fairly uncomfortable conversation, but, um, you know, at least at first some, for some reason there's a, there is some uncomfort there, but I, I can't stress how important that is regarding talking to your spouse and having everybody on board when uh, you're trying to pursue something like this. Yeah. But I, I actually, cause you know, my, my coaching, I coach some pretty high level guys in the residential real estate space and, some of them <laughs> have strained marriages because they haven't let their spouse into, you know, their plans or their thoughts or ideas or, and so, yeah, w- w- without that, w- and it's a little bit of accountability too, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, you know, our spouses are, they tend to give us a lot of grace because they see how hard we're working, but they really don't know that, you know, the life of, an investor or a real estate agent, you know, you could, some of these businesses, you can sort of halfway it if you're talented enough and still make good money and not be, not be super intentional, you know? And so, yeah, just having an open, uh, I think there's a level of accountability around it. Um, but also, yeah, just keep getting your spouse in on it with you and, and letting them know that you're doing it for a different reason. You know, that that you see this outcome for the family that is not what it looks like today. So, you know, I've heard the uh, phrase uh, multiple times, you either start a partnership with an uncomfortable conversation or you'll end it with an uncomfortable conversation. And so I also see that with any kind of employees or people that you're actually bringing on 
to build your team because anytime we're talking about scaling, there's always going to be a team involved. Mm-hmm. How have some of those conversations go as you've been adding team members and and people to to your organization? Yeah, that's probably where I failed. I would say I've failed the the most and the fastest is, you know, I didn't come into real estate with any sort of business building or leadership or management experience. And so I, I really, you know, trying to bring on salespeople and then, you know, giving people more responsive for, I oftentimes I would want it more for them than they wanted it for themselves. And that's always just a very frustrating relationship. And that's a good way to, 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 to say it, you know, that, if you're going to bring someone into your world and you're going to provide an opportunity to them, you better make sure you're crystal clear, uh, like what what is expected of them for them to be able to to, to remain in your world. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, if you're not clear on expectations and they're not charging to, you know, any kind of accountability or you know standards whatsoever, it's not gonna it's not gonna end great, or it's gonna be just a, a marginally productive team member that you're, they're not achieving their potential and your business is going to suffer as a result of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've had some difficult conversations, people leaving my world that knowing what I know now, I could have given them more opportunity and come alongside them in a more meaningful way than I, than I had. And I would like to say, I just didn't know better because now, now I know better, but looking back, it was a lot of it was, was uh, driven by just being too busy. And I think looking at what was going on with me versus what was going on with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and me being overly busy or me having, you know, starting another business. And then this business is sort of running and I'm not caring and tending into it to the way that I should. Um, But yeah, I've had a lot of difficult conversations. I've hired a lot of people that said all the right things and, you know, this was going to be a great, you know, business marriage. And, you know, it was just a miserable disaster. You know, I've had people leave on the first day, you know, literally even leave on the first day when I said, you know, so, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're expected to lead generate for three hours a day. You would think that would come up in an interview process. This was early on. And they're like, I, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, Oh, my bad. I should have. So that was a lesson. I should have told you what the job was before I gave you the job. Right. You know? So right. yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I've made all the mistakes you can make. Yeah. That's interesting though. You say that because when you do interview people for a seat, you know, if you've read traction, that's, that's a perfect book on that where you're trying to find the best person for the best, you know, for that seat, everybody is typically on their best behavior. They're going to do what they can to, and say what they can to make themselves appealing for that position. How do you find your way to work through that? Like whether, whether yeah, it was an actual good fit. Well, I, there's two things I did. I actually kept a list of all the mistakes that I made. So I would just look back on the list and say, okay, they're the second income of their family. So they don't need to make money. Don't hire those people. Um, You know, they they don't want to be on a team. They really want to do their own thing. Don't hire those people. Um, but, but I would say the most powerful lesson I've ever learned about hiring was it was at my church. I had no idea what the actual message was, but my pastor said he was giving an example. He was saying patterns versus potential. And he said, he's like, ladies, I'm going to talk to you, give you some relationship advice for a second. You know, 
you guys are seeing, you ladies are seeing all this potential in these men, right? Where, oh, he's just, he has so much potential, you know, but like he is living at home at age 35. He is, you know, has credit card debt. He's addicted to porn. He's hundred pounds overweight. Like this guy has no pattern of, of any sort of, you know, anything that you would want, you know, necessarily to sort of, to sort of marry. And, and I, 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 in that moment, I'm like, man, I look back on, on the misfits and the people that I, that I kept in my world longer than I should have. And it's easy to find the patterns in somebody before you get into a business relationship with them. Cause our core values going back to traction, you know, core values, and then um, get it wanted capacity. Our core values were, you know, two of our core values, we hustle and work hard and we embrace accountability and discipline. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many few people in the world hustle and work hard and embrace accountability and discipline? So you just have to know if you speak to a hundred people, maybe one or two out of the hundred actually hustle and work hard and embrace accountability and discipline. And our job as, as interviewer is to just ask them questions to figure out the patterns around those two things. So, so tell me about college. Like, you know, did you play any sports? Did you work a job when you were in college? And, you know, some will say like, yeah, I, unfortunately I had to pay for college. So I had to work like three jobs and, you know, I graduated in three and a half years. And it's like, I was also like involved in the student council and I studied abroad for a year and it's like, okay. You know, and ask somebody, I remember asking a guy and, and he worked out on our team. Awesome. Like, so when I say, you know, standards, personal and professional standards, like what come, what comes to mind? And he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and he had written in his wallet, like all these standards that, and I'm like, holy cow. Right. And, and, uh, you know, embrace accountability and discipline. Like, so talk about a time where, you know, you set a goal for yourself and you actually had to sort of change behaviors or habits and and, and achieve a goal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, someone will say, well, you know, I ran, I was in the worst shape of my life coming out of college. And I decided like me and two other girlfriends decided we're going to run a marathon and we had never run anything before. And so something like that has more meaning sometimes than, you know, anything else they can say, but you can actually figure out someone's patterns. Most of the time it's like, Jack, tell me about how you're going to crush this position. Lars, I'm going to crush this position. Jack, it's going to be great. Let's do it. You just told me, you know, I mean, literally that's the way you used to hire Right. As a small business owner, we don't come up through the ranks in a corporate development program. It's just like, we have a need for a person and we're just going to bring anyone in. You know, it's like, oh, you say you can do this job. Then I believe you because I'm a good person. Why would I think you're lying to me? But people actually, they're not like openly lying, but they're not telling you the truth because like three weeks in when they're they're you know, they have to make X number of contacts, like 30 contacts a day, you know, meaningful conversations and track all their numbers. And, you know, they're not doing it. And they're like, yeah, this isn't for me. It's like, oh, learned again, you know, so. Right. Well, Lars, this has been a great conversation. I, and uh, But uh, before I let you go, I want to remind everybody again, Real Estate Team Builders. Uh, check out that uh, for Lars's podcast. And uh, it, But before we uh, kick things off here, uh, I have a few rapid fire questions that Let's go. Uh, we'll try to zip through. Let's do it. You already, you already uh, brought up the E-Myth book. So if that's your answer, you can sure use it again. But uh, what is one book you would recommend everybody read? 
Atomic Habits, James Clear. Other than the Bible. Other than the Bible. Awesome. Is there any real estate investing myth you'd like to bust? Real estate investing myth that I would like to bust. I remember, so uh, it's a rapid fire, so I got to be careful. Um, Nobody can tell you you can't do a deal this week or this month. In any market, there are deals to be had. So I think the myth is that it's too many people out there doing it. Like I can't do it. Right. Awesome. What is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I think probably I went to a Tony Robbins business mastery. Uh, Success in anything is 80% psychology and 20% tactics. What's the worst? The worst advice, I mean, it has to be something I told myself or (laughs) justified by myself because I've been coached by some good people. But the worst advice, I don't know that I've really gotten, I mean, I I always look at my failures as learning experience. So I don't think I've gotten real bad advice. I've always learned the lesson and moved on. Okay, cool. And if you could go back in time to give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? Exited nine rental properties in my local market here about six years ago. I would say those properties you're going to buy in 17 years from now, never sell them. As, as much as heartache as tenants may give you, just hire a property manager. Right. That's what I would tell myself. Well, Lars, this was great. And I warned you the last question is, there, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? No, I would say, you know, going, it is mindset. So, so for, for some of you listening, the, the thought of being a successful real estate investor, it feels like it's like, man, I know this guy and he's doing like all these deals and like the, the whole comparison trap. But maybe for you, it's like, like, like for me, I'm doing the same thing. I'm not going to watch TV for five days a week, you know, or I'm going to go for a walk today or I'm going to drink only water today. Or I'm going to, you know, there's like simple little things that we can do over time that compound that will get you the results you're, you're wanting to get to. So don't measure progress against where like all the people you want to be like, it's just you versus you, you know? So the future version of you could be anything that, that you want it to be. Yeah. I have a buddy who said that his primary goal, and it's, I think he carries a list on his pocket too. And his, his first one is simply uh, be better than yesterday, be a better person than yesterday. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's atomic habits, James clear. So not that direct quote, but get that book and really it's a book you do. You don't read it. You actually do it. So it's really good. So, well, thank you, Lars. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. And one last time, the podcast is called Real Estate Team Builders. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.